there's no rule book, first of all. There's you and your voice and what you want to say. And the more that you can sound like a real person in this universe of AI, well, that's who we buy from. We buy from real people. We buy from brands that we care about who are human. And there's an importance to that. If you're wondering, like, should I tell this story? Should I not tell this story? Should I add this detail? If it's real, you probably should. If it's something that your audience can see themselves in, you definitely should. My name is Samantha Riley, and this is the podcast for experts who want to be the unapologetic leader in their industry. We're going to share the latest business growth, marketing, and leadership strategies, as well as discussing how you can use your human design to create success in business and life, inside and out. It's time to take your influence, income, and impact to the level you know you're capable of. Are you ready to make a bigger difference and scale up? This is the Influence by Design podcast. Welcome to today's episode of Influence by Design. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, and today we're going to talk about copy, which is a huge topic on its own, but we're specifically going to talk about how to write copy to launch your product, or and we're going to talk about launches a little bit as well. And I've invited Danielle Will, who helps expert business owners make more sales by owning their voice in copy. Since 2006, she's written dozens of six and seven figure launches, generated over $100 million in sales for clients and mentored business owners to break their own sales records with copy that sounds like them, but makes so much more money. So welcome to the show, Danielle. It's fabulous to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm just going to say kudos to you for everyone that's listening this is i only just found this out i was having a soup before to someone because i had an early start and danielle tells me it's midnight where she is so this is absolute commitment to be showing up at this time of the evening and you're in israel at the moment right yes that's where i've been for the past 14 years fabulous Danielle, why don't you share a little bit about what exactly you do for clients and how you came to be doing what you do? Sure. So what, as a copywriter, I still write copy for clients. I've had the privilege of writing for some industry leaders behind the scenes, behind some some very big launches. And I also help business owners who are still writing it themselves, maybe doing their first, second, third launch, maybe still trying to wrap their brains around the copy for their business and the messaging, maybe just starting to outsource it, help them really, really dial in their messaging and streamline the process, give them the shortcut so that they can get their copy done and feel really confident about what they're putting out. Mm. How did I get started doing what I'm doing is kind of a long story, but let's just say I was a broke college student and realized that you can actually make quite a lot of money as a copywriter. Uh Uh-huh. But not everyone can be a copywriter. And that's why I'm really glad to be diving into this topic because I think it is one of the biggest roadblocks in helping so many coaches and consultants to be able to grow their business. And so many people don't understand the value that copy has in our business and how it can be the make or break of so many people. And, you know, they think that it could be their delivery or their expertise. And I would say probably eight to nine times out of 10, it's copy that I can see that is the thing that lets them down. But before we dive in, 
We're going to talk about launches today and copy for launches, but I want to address the elephant in the room before we even begin, because I'm hearing a lot of people say launches aren't relevant, and I'd love your take on this. Launches are not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And just like anything else in marketing, where everybody sort of jumps on this bandwagon and then something new comes along and there's shiny objects and fads, there's this conversation about every little while people go, oh, no, nobody's launching anymore. I just want to evergreen my program. And people will always be launching in one way or another, because what is a launch, really? It is a live marketing promotion mm -hmm. that has a beginning and an end. Mm -hmm. And if you are a coach or consultant, if you're launching a new offer, if you're, you know, trying something out for the first time, you're not going to go straight to Evergreen with that. You're going to to try it out first. So, hey, mm -hmm. you actually do need to launch. And there's nothing that gives you momentum in your business like a launch does. Mm -hmm. So for all those reasons and more, they're not going anywhere. I think the way that we approach them has changed. Yeah. But we're still launching. Totally. And I agree with you. It's something that I tell my clients all the time is it's not the launch itself that's the important piece. It's the visibility that it gives you when you come out and you're, you know, you're, let's just say you're everywhere, people see you, you're prolific, and this is the piece that makes people sit up and notice. And even if you're not using a traditional launch process, and I won't go into what I mean with that too much today, but just having that launch process means that people will notice you and that's what it's all about. Sure. Let's talk about the copy, because there is so much copy that's needed in a launch. Where does one begin? Because it's not at the beginning. It's not at the beginning. And <laughs> I'm <laughs> glad you said that because you're always starting with the end in mind. You're always reverse engineering from your offer, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about it as a bridge, one side of the bridge being you know, your ideal person going, hey, please take my money. And the beginning of the bridge being where they're starting from, which is the problem that you're solving. Your job is to build that bridge and not miss any planks in the bridge so that they can get across. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what I call a launch narrative. That's what you're building with all those pieces of copy and everything that you're doing. And essentially what you're doing is thinking what someone needs to believe in order to buy your offer. Mm -hmm. and reverse engineering everything based on that. Mm -hmm. So once you have a core narrative, once you have your launch narrative together, we can talk about you know the structure of that. It makes everything, when it comes to the copy, so much easier to write. So when you're talking about a launch narrative, what exactly are you talking about there? So what I'm talking about is essentially the core messaging for your launch, right? And going back to this idea of a bridge, it is everything that you need to take your ideal customer through, the process they need to go through to walk across that bridge and be excited about buying, to be like, yes, I'm in. And it all starts with where they are. Mm -hmm. You have to meet them where they are, show them why you get it, why they have not gotten results that they've wanted until now, what they've been missing, the missing piece, the thing that you discovered mm -hmm. that they need to know about. 
Mm-hmm. And then it's okay, well, what do you do about it? Well, here's the solution. Mm-hmm. And all those, those pieces as you walk across, once that narrative comes together and it's essentially what becomes your sales page mm-hmm. for your program, right? Then you take all the little pieces out of that and that becomes your emails, your webinar, your videos, whatever you want it to be for your launch all starts from that core piece. Mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing is you need to be very, very clear on what your offer is before you do anything, which it makes sense, but I'm going, actually, let me ask you, do you see mm. people that start to write their launch copy that aren't necessarily 100% clear on their offer? I think it's interesting Sometimes you figure it out along the way through the process of coming up with this narrative. Mm-hmm. And so thinking through starting with the problems, starting with where someone is and what you need to solve and matching that to what you're bringing to the table and then creating that bridge with the unique mechanism, we call it, with the discovery, with whatever that new thing is in between. Building that bridge often creates this feedback loop where you're sort of clarifying things about your offer and also refining the way that you talk about the problem to your audience and getting a lot more nuanced and a lot more clear on what that is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so once you're clear on that, you're suggesting that we start with your sales page yep. and everything comes from there. What are the core pieces of creating that sales page? So the sales page, I break it down into two parts because I think people tend to overcomplicate sales pages. Mm -hmm. The first part is your narrative. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, if you are this and you want this and you describe the problem, I get it. Here's why I get it. Here's what I discovered. Here is how you solve it. And then part two is what I call the how. So part two is just the details of your offer and a couple of other pieces, you know, your FAQ, the sections that you would normally see on your sales page. And that in a nutshell is how you can write a sales page really quickly by getting really clear on your narrative. Mm -hmm. And then once that happens, your sales page is half done. Mm -hmm. So what do you see is the biggest downfall or when you're looking at someone else's copy, what is the thing that's missing in the narrative piece? What people often, and I'm guilty of this myself, so I will, you know, full transparency, usually there's something about their awesomeness that they have not owned. Ah, oh my goodness, I love this. How do you help your clients to work through that piece? So it's almost about, because we're coming from a place of, unconscious competence, right? Like we know the answers. Yeah. Our clients don't necessarily know them yet. We want them so desperately to know and have the answers, but building that bridge, meeting them where they are, is sometimes a challenge remembering where we were before we knew. Mm-hmm. And so I often ask my clients to explain it to me like I'm five. Uh-huh. Because on a call, when they explain it in, in really simple language, that's when they can get to the core of what it actually is they do. Mm-hmm. And then I'll reflect that back to them. So I'm hearing you say, and the thing that's sticking out for me is this. Mm-hmm. And usually there'll be one or two things that sort of 
like blinking lights at me and I'll reflect and then they go, oh, oh, that's what it's about. Okay. And then it allows them to dig even deeper and find like, oh, that's what I do Mm. in such a way that opens up this new path for them to claim it and talk about it. And it's often, I always say, you already have the copy inside of you. Mm -hmm. You already have all of it because all I have to do is just ask the question. Yes, but on that, asking the questions, where my brain was going even as you were speaking then is I find it, and I, I know I'm not the only person here, I find it very difficult to get that stuff out of myself on my own. I always work with someone to bounce these ideas off. So my husband is my business partner and I won't ever write copy without having, you know, without having this conversation with him. Do you have a list of questions or, yeah, I guess the questions that people can get other people to ask them to draw this information out of them? I think it's a matter of, first of all, who you're talking to, mm-hmm. meaning it's valuable to talk to people who understand your business and know about what you do, but it's also valuable to talk to people who don't know anything about it. Yeah. Who are like, if you're in a networking group, find someone you haven't met with and say, hey, you know, I'd love to chat with you, you know, about this and explain it to you because sometimes the questions that they will naturally ask about what it is you do will highlight from that place of of not knowing yet that your audience is in and will allow you to then see from that place. Mm. So that the shortcut is find someone who doesn't know who you are and what you do and have them ask you about it. (laughs) Yeah, I love that so much. Okay, so the biggest challenge that you see is people not really owning who they are is what I'm hearing you say and being able to articulate that in a way that other people go, ah, wow, she's amazing, he's amazing. It's that, it's getting it from your brain to the keyboard that's the struggle because most people are not natural writers. They don't do it all day, every day. They're busy doing other things and copy is not their core skill. Although I really do believe that all business owners should have some understanding of what good copy is, looks like, and how to, if they're on the spot with nothing left, know how to write it for their business. Totally. But getting into that creative flow, getting it all out there, sitting from a blank page and trying to write something, recipe for disaster. (laughs) And we don't want the recipe for disaster. We want the recipe for success. (laughs) We want the shortcuts. We want the like, you know, never write from scratch. Uh-huh. And it's interesting. I don't know how much you want to go into this or not because it's a hot topic, but the AI and, you know, this conversation about, oh, can AI write my copy for me? Uh-huh. The answer is maybe some of it, but not totally yet. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So with that in mind, how are you using AI at the moment to help you or or the way you're seeing your clients write their copy? I think for someone who doesn't necessarily feel that they're a strong writer, it definitely gives you that something to start with. Mm-hmm. And full disclosure, I'm still sort of playing around with all the possibilities of this. As we all are. 
right? <laughs> We're all still just in the sandbox going, ooh. Even the experts are still in the sandbox. <laughs> what can we make with this thing, right? Yeah. I found that it's it's very good at synthesizing information, right? Mm -hmm. It'll give me, you know, I asked it to give me the top 20 pain points for a very specific audience and problem. And it was like, okay, cool. I got ideas that I didn't normally have. And I haven't gotten it yet to write emails like like I can write emails. So, yeah. But I have high yeah. standards. <laughs> well, that's great. <laughs> but I think for the average person using it as a tool, you can input your customer survey language. You can put in things people have written to you. You can put in what you know, and you can get something that is a very good working first draft. Mm -hmm. Again, the quality of the output is, I think, based on the quality of the input, right? The prompts have to be good. 100%. Yeah. But what it can't totally do is replace you and your voice and the quality of your thinking in a unique way, the spontaneity that sometimes comes out, especially in launch mode, when you just have that email that you know you need to write and you send it at the last minute because you had an idea come to you. And that's the one that makes all the difference, that moment when you're vulnerable, that moment when you share something, that moment where you connect emotionally and it just happens organically and not necessarily in a way that you planned or because you inputted the right things into the machine. Mm. You mentioned something there that I'd like to dive into and that's authenticity. Because if I think about the sales pages or the copy that calls to me, it's usually the very quirky things that people write that make them very unique that I would not have thought about writing. And I feel that a lot of people don't know where that sort of that invisible line is of I want to look professional and how do I make this sound uniquely mine? Do you have any tips around that? I think there's, there's no rule book, mm -hmm. first of all. There's you and your voice and what you want to say. And the more that you can sound like a real person in this universe of AI, well, that's who we buy from. We buy from real people. We buy from brands that we care about who are human. <laughs> and there's an importance to that. If you're wondering, like, should I tell this story? Should I not tell this story? Should I add this detail? If it's real, you probably should. Mm. If it's something that your audience can see themselves in, you definitely should. Mm -hmm. And so I don't necessarily think there's a, a question of, should I say this? Should I not say this? I like quirky sales pages. I would describe my copy style as a little bit cleaner and elegant, less of the quirky, sassy voice. But again, that's a choice. Mm -hmm. And that's my style, the way that, that I'm, I am who I am. I love mint chocolate chip ice cream and coffee, and I will say that all day long, and people know <laughs> that about me. And so the, the relevant details of your life that you want people to know, it's your choice how much you share. Mm. Mm -hmm. Whatever you do share, make it real. I feel like it's that simple. Mm. And in a world of social media and I think many years of having that I'm going to put this in air quotes, like fakeness, you know, in front of the private jet and, you know, pretending to be someone that people aren't. And I'm not talking about people in our community, but we all know the those Insta famous people that I'm talking about. And I feel that that time is gone. 
that we would rather connect with someone that says, hey, I got out of bed this morning and I really didn't want to because, you know, the kids were up all night, then do it the same way I do it because I'm so perfect. Like, we're just over that. I think we're so very much over that. And I think the moment that we got over that was in some ways the pandemic. Yeah, I think that accelerated Where it. we were all just sitting at home in our pajamas in front of Zoom going, when are we going to leave the house now? And, you know, people experience this to varying degrees, but we were definitely in lockdown a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Four kids at home in and out of my office. And like that's real life was just in our screens all the time. There was nowhere to go to create that illusion. So we just got over it. Yeah. And to translate it back to launching, that's when we started to see a whole lot less of those pre-produced videos and, you know, the shiny production values and a lot more of just a lot of live, real, spontaneous, interactive content which takes a lot of the pressure off of launching in some ways Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. all you have to do is show up and share what you know and be you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Totally. And we are the only people that can be us. It is just us. We're talking launching and launch copy. You mentioned that the very first piece that we need to write is the sales page and everything else comes from that. What is everything else? (laughs) I'm glad you asked. It depends on which kind of launch you're doing. Mm -hmm. It really does. You know, you want to match where you are in your business to the style of launch that you do. Mm -hmm. You want to match your strengths to the style of launch that you do. If you hate being on video, don't do as much video. Do some pre-recorded things, write some blog posts, do a podcast, right? Like Mm -hmm. we have so many different options and so many different ways to launch that It really is about doing what works for you and taking that into account as you plan. And don't forget to plan in time to rest, right? I'm so glad you mentioned that because before we were recording, you said something about having a non-stressful launch. And I said, is there such a thing as a non-stressful launch? Because I haven't discovered it if there is. And I think that one of those pieces is definitely having time to rest. I think just accepting that the fact there is always going to be some element about doing a live launch that's stressful. It's, if you think about it, a risky thing you're doing. You're opening the doors to a program. You're not necessarily sure how many people are going to buy. There's a time limit. There's a deadline. There are things that could go wrong. But on the other hand, first of all, you know, people will forget, like I've been behind the scenes when things have just broken, (laughs) always have redundancies, always have, you know, whatever. But Build in those spaces to rest, embrace the stress in some ways, thinking, okay, this is, you know, plan to do your launch at a time when you don't have other, a million other things going on, when you have room to be in launch mode a little bit, because it will propel you forward in your business, because it will push you out of your comfort zone, because it will make you do the thing that you might not necessarily do as you're planning an evergreen funnel that might launch in two months, three months, four months next year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So launch, rest, and embrace the stress. Mm, Love it, love it, love it. Wasn't expecting to get that gold on a copywriting episode, but that right there was gold. (laughs) All right, so depending on the launch, depends on what we need to create. Yes, you mentioned videos. 
I mean, we're going to have the doesn't matter what sort of launch, we need some sort of pretty sizable email sequence. Yes. Or in depth uh, is probably a better way of saying it than sizable. An in depth email sequence. Can you give us some of the main parts of the email sequence that we must, must cover? Sure. So you've got your sales page, you've got some sort of conversion mechanism whether that is live video, a webinar, a workshop, a challenge, you know, something else that is happening where you open the doors to your offer. That's generally one of the key pieces of a launch. Sometimes you'll have more than one. And so you'll want emails driving people to that piece, getting them to register, getting them to show up once they've already registered. So we call your, your reg sequence and your show up sequence. Mm -hmm. And then you want follow-up emails after that to send them to the replay and the sales page of your program. Mm -hmm. So you want like what we call the follow-up sales sequence. Mm -hmm. So those are what I would categorize as the three core pieces of a launch email sequence. You might also want some pre-launch content. So a couple weeks or even months before, put out content that starts to touch on the topics around the program that you're launching. Mm -hmm. So start to get it top of mind start to plant the seed so that when you come out with your webinar, your launch, people go, oh, that sounds so familiar. Yeah. Because mm. you preceded all of those things, you know, in the weeks prior. Yes. People know it's coming. And so having lead time for that is important. But yeah, when it comes to email, your registration sequence, your show up sequence, and then for every day of open cart, you want to send at least one email. You want to have a reason to mail. You want to give them something, again, to go and consume, whether it's a video, whether it's, you know, FAQ on your sales page, whether you're doing another open Q&A, whether you've got a new bonus, something else is happening in that open cart sequence that you are mailing to every day. Mm -hmm. And then however many emails you think you should send on the last day, send one more. That's the rule. <laughs> I love this. I love this. And just so that we're clear as we're listening, how many emails do you generally send on the last day? It depends. Mm -hmm. It depends on the size of your list and how responsive they are and, you know, all those things. Generally, I've seen anything from two to five. Yeah. Okay. Because I used, <laughs> I send usually on the last day between three and four, and it still gets me how often I'm on the phone at 10 p.m. on the night that my launch closes because someone's left it till that very, very last minute and they reach out and they have a bit of a freak out. And that's the, that's the part of launching, right? And I think that that's, that's the thing that's going to make it successful is being there like right till the very, very end. Oh, yeah. And, you know, whenever your closed cart deadline is, always leave it open just a little bit longer for the stragglers and the European time zone and the, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is, the people to get in who don't get in right at midnight or whenever your deadline is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. So three, two to five emails on that last day. What are the parts of the copy? So sales page emails, what about how much you're taking from the sales page into your webinar? Because this is something else that I know that people miss this piece 
where most of that stuff in the webinar does need to come across from the sales page. What are some of the tips that you can give us in regards to that, that in relation to copy? When you have your narrative really clear, it becomes really easy because it's all the same core skeleton that you're just taking and turning into each new piece, right? So sales page is one piece, webinar, you know that you need to walk them through the problem, your story, the discovery you made and the solution. Mm -hmm. How you do that, the teaching content that you put in the middle can be new. It doesn't have to necessarily be what you put on your sales page. Mm -hmm. But if you have that, that structure in mind, then I think you don't miss much mm -hmm. because it's all there. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to keep coming back to this soapbox about why a narrative is so important just because I've, I've written so many launches and every time the narrative is what drives everything forward. Mm, totally. Now, something else that drives the sales is not just the narrative, it's the subject lines on emails. This is really, really important piece. How much time do you spend on subject lines for your clients? So it's a bit of a trick question. I mean, subject lines, I will say something about subject because your emails have to get opened in order to be read and clicked on, mm -hmm. right? We all know that. I think there's since the iOS updates and all the things, it become harder to track your open rates as a metric. They're almost kind of like a dead metric. Yeah. And so it's harder to see your open, like see and track and measure them. That doesn't mean that they don't matter. So what I recommend and what I have is a spreadsheet where I will track every subject line like ever. <laughs> and when it used to matter, split testing them and seeing the open rates and seeing the patterns. Now the proxy for that is looking at your click rate. So you want to look at your clicks and your unsubscribes to show you sort of what is happening and how your emails are landing. You do not have to spend a lot of time writing subject lines. Mm -hmm. I know it's a thing that like people get stuck on, write them last. Okay. Don't try to write the subject line before you've written the email. Just write it last. It makes it so much easier. Headlines too. Headlines go last. And play with different things. My best go-to formula for subject lines is something that is both curiosity-based and benefit-driven. Mm -hmm. so if you can get a curiosity and a benefit together, but of course, there are lots of ways to do subject lines. We could talk about that for a whole episode, but I do have a free resource on it. Yeah. Tell us about the free resource. So what I've done is put together my 30 subject line shortcuts. So different types of subject lines, different go-to types that you can go and get ideas from, just sort of go to it, pick one, tweak it to make it yours and plug it in. And these are based on my years and years of writing subject lines and what tends to work and what people tend to respond to. So my shortcuts are your shortcuts. Love it so much. And you can get the link to that free resource over at influencedbydesignpodcast.com. And I thoroughly recommend and suggest that you do go over and grab a copy of that because like I said right at the beginning, let's look back. Copy is one of the most important pieces to making sure that you've got people coming through the door and buying what it is that you are offering. Danielle, you've shared quite a lot today, so many value bombs. What is the one thing or the, the piece that you want people to walk away from this episode with? 
the one thing that you want them to remember? The one thing is the importance of owning your narrative, about figuring out what that is, not being afraid to claim it, because it is generally where the gold is in what you do. And once you have it, it makes everything else about your messaging and your copy so much easier. Mm, love that so much. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today, especially at midnight. It was incredible to chat with you and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. So fun. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Influence by Design podcast. If you want more, head over to influencebydesignpodcast.com for the show notes and links to today's gifts and sponsors. And if you're looking to connect with other experts who are growing and scaling their business too, join us in the Coaches, Thought Leaders and Changemakers community on Facebook. The links are waiting for you over at influencebydesignpodcast.com. Thank you.